Man, you can be seated. Oh, man. Could have done that for a lot longer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to be together this morning. Welcome to Bedrock. If you're a guest, glad you're here. Um, we are going to be in Mark, the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn there, Mark chapter 12. We're going to be finishing up uh, Mark chapter 12. Actually, you know what? I think Brian's got one more portion uh, next week. Uh, and just while, while I'm on the topic, um, space. Man, uh, Hunter, you're right. It's been, it's been a theme in, in your home, which is incredible. Uh, it's been a theme in the heart of our church, um, that the Lord has just called us to make room. And so as best as we can and in every space that we can, we're trying to seek him in prayer and meditation and just being with the Lord. Um, through his word. And so it's just, it's so encouraging when you get to see how God is working individually and as a whole within, within his church. Um, and so next week, uh, we're going to be doing something a little bit different that we haven't um, done before. We've joined uh, Redemption City Church. If they have done something called Stations of the Cross. Um, next week, we're gonna be, we are going to be leaning into space, and there's going to be a little bit of a different service. Uh, and so a lot, of, a lot of the book of Mark if you followed along with us, a lot of this book has been just learning, like watching the disciples and learning one story at a time, who is this Jesus? Um, and, and there's these promptings and these callings to respond all along the way. And so now, as we, before we go to Easter, before we go to continue in the book, we just felt like at the end of chapter 12, like, there was a, there was, like the Lord was calling us to just make a little bit of room um, for us to respond as individuals. And so next week is going to look a little bit different. Um, teaching will be shorter. Um, the worship will be simpler. And there's going to be actual stations that walk you through um, Jesus' journey to the cross. And there's going to be a lot of time made for just reflection. And so we just kind of wanted to give a little bit of a heads up because I know that it's a little bit different and it's probably not what you do every single Sunday and we understand that. Um, but as we prayed over it, we're like, you know what? We feel like God's just, it just, it's what God's calling us to. So next Sunday, we'll look a little bit different, and then we'll continue forward in our series as we look towards Easter. But today, we are in Mark chapter 12. I should grab my notes. Mark chapter 12. Um, we are going to go verse 28 through 34. Uh, so if you don't have a Bible, we have them available for you at the end of the aisle. Um, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one. It's yours. Uh, we'd love for you to have it. Um, so Mark is one of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. Um, and it's simple, but there's so much, it's so dense. And so we've enjoyed walking through it. Um, I've been excited. This week has been, it's, again, it's been something that you just, you get to, like, it's an honor to be able to bring, bring the Word weekly and to, and to see how the Lord is moving through with his word. But there's some weeks where it feels like God has just perfectly placed a passage in your life. And that has felt like what this week has been like for me. So I hope it's encouraging for us. Um, all right, so Jesus has answered a lot of questions. There's just been like a series of questions. We've gone through this whole story, and we've got to this portion where Jesus is in the temple, and he's answering questions about authority, questions about money, questions about the resurrection, and there's people, different kinds of people that are asking him these questions. Um, but 
Today, we get another question, but we get a different answer, a different kind of answer. And the question is a different kind of question. We'll get there. Um, but before we dive in, I just wanted to zoom out. Um, we, like, we like stories with a hero and a villain. We do. Um, so the Avengers need Thanos. Batman needs the Joker. I was going to say Bane, but Batman needs the Joker. There needs to be a rise and a fall, a conflict, a tension. There needs to be a battle and a resolution. We tell stories this way uh, because in some way it kind of reflects our own story. Not that you're battling Thanos, um, but that there is good and evil, right? There's good and evil in your own life, and there's this sense of, like, will good prevail? And you feel this tension as you watch a movie, but you feel this tension in your own life. In short, it's a magnified version of it, but you see it. We tell stories this way. And as we've looked at the book of Mark, we've seen this. Um, we've followed this book, and it has certainly, it certainly showed us its characters. And if you followed closely, you see the plot lines. And you're like, man, there's this tension that's happening. And as we go into our scene today, it's easy to go into, back into the temple with Jesus and begin to grow a certain kind of frustration with the current religious system, the current people and leadership that are in place, because it feels like those are the people that Jesus is in conflict with. Because every single time, all throughout the story, it feels like they represent the villains. Um, Jesus has every taken, taken many opportunities to perform miracles, and they give accusations. When Jesus displays his power, they question the source. When Jesus cares for the poor and needy, they question his intentions and his position. By the end of the story, they're going to be the ones that kill him and put him on a cross. And so it's easy to see them as the enemy. But at the end of our story today, at the end of our story today, there's a statement that Jesus makes to one of these religious leaders. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And you're just like, in a moment, it just flips everything. The plot line of like, it's Jesus versus these religious leaders just completely falls apart. In a moment, you were just reminded that there's something far bigger happening here. That there is a battle between good and evil. That there is a battle between God and an enemy. There's a battle between light and darkness. And Jesus represents that light. And so, what I love is that Jesus is for all people. And so even this man that in our plot line seems to represent the enemy, what we find is that Jesus opens this door. To him. And you're reminded of the words of Christ that say, anyone who seeks will find, anyone who knocks, and the door will be open. And maybe we just start here today, before we even read our passage, that I just wanted to say um, that anyone who is seeking is welcome here. Anyone who is seeking is welcome. Because Jesus welcomes all. And so, let's read our passage. It's going to be a character that we just, it's just, oh man, it's exciting. All right, so uh, Mark chapter 12, verse, starting verse 28, says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, Most important is this. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe says to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There is no other besides him. And to love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's a bold thing to say for someone in his position. And when Jesus saw that he had answered him wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Pray. Father, we need Jesus. Before and behind us, above and below us, Lord, we need Christ. We're desperate for him. Lord, I pray that you would show us again just how sweet he is. Lord, show us the love of the Father today. Would you open our eyes to, to the kingdom today? Would you help us see things that are not of this world? Help us see something that is supernatural. But I pray that we would look at your word and that through your spirit that we would see what is true. Lord, and that that truth would shape us and change us. Lord, would you be with us as we walk through your word this morning? May you be the one that's speaking. In your name, amen. All right, so as we already said, um, this is the last of a series of questions. Uh, that Jesus is faced in the temple, um, and, but this one is different. So let's talk about how it's different. Uh, the first way that it's different is this is the first time that Jesus is approached by an individual, not just in general, but in this series where we have had questions. And so the questions have come from scribes and priests. Questions have come from Pharisees. Questions have come from Herodians. Questions have come from last week was Sadducees, these groups of people. But now you have what it says in the very beginning, and it says, and one of the scribes, so singular, you get one person, one person that has been asking all of these questions, just one at a time, you have all, just watching this all go past, and then they see that he's answering wisely, and so one scribe stands up and he has a question of his own. And I think um, it's interesting that he's a scribe, because a scribe is someone that would have been a keeper of the scrolls. I know that we get used to like looking at the Bible like this, maybe you are, maybe you're not, but if you're, if, um, you're probably familiar, if you've ever been in a hotel room, there's always just like a Bible sitting there. It's we're at a place where it's just kind of everywhere. So we get used to seeing it with chapters and verses and all this. But the way that it was kept then was in rooms. Like there was like rooms full of scrolls and these scrolls didn't have these chapters and verses, they were just stories and lists. And eventually they get put into a way in a library like this, like what we have today. But you, a scroll, like a scribe is someone that would have kept these scrolls. And so he would have been extremely familiar with one thing in particular, which would have been the Old Testament law. Like he would have known the law 
well. There's 613 commandments given in the law. And so he wants to know, as he has been the one to carry these scrolls and to look at this law his entire life, it's probably something he's been trained up to do, he has one question. I've looked at these commandments my whole life, 613 of them. Which one? This is his question. Which commandment is the most important of all? He's asking, not from a place of testing, not from a place of critique. He's asking because he wants answers. So Jesus gives him an answer. I think, side note, I had a conversation with Sam Owens um, just after last Sunday's service, and we talked about just the beauty of asking questions and how important it is that we ask questions, um, especially in our faith, especially as we follow Jesus. One of the greatest parts about this has been just watching the disciples ask questions. You know, they just have so many questions, and Jesus is just so patient and faithful to answer their questions. Um, But one of the things that is different, because Jesus has been faced with a lot of questions here, Jesus gives a different kind of answer. And I think it's because he got a different kind of heart asking the question. This man asked a question from humility, seeking to learn the truth. And I think the other questions were asked with from criticism, seeking to discredit. And I think there's a distinction there, because Jesus gives different kinds of answers. Humility seeking for the truth surrenders itself to the answers that's given. And you understand as truth is presented that you would learn from that and you would assess it. But critiquing something for the, with the goal of discrediting something, even when truth is presented, the only thing that it's going to do is it's going to harden a heart. And so we see that over and over again where these, these different groups are asking Jesus questions, but they're asking with the goal of discrediting and undermining him where this man comes because he wants to learn. So he asks a question from a place of, teach me. But Jesus gives an answer. Verse 29 says, the most important is here, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Pretty straightforward. It's kind of a relief as a reader. You're like, man, Jesus is just like straight up answered him. You know, there's been a lot of times where he's presented other questions and a lot of times where he's given different answers and you're like, okay, he just gives a straight answer. Um, And it's an incredible answer. He's saying the question was, what is what is the command that is greater than all? And Jesus is saying this is the foundational truth. Um. My daughters and I go to Frankfurt Hall um, for daddy-daughter dates. And there's a reason we go there. Two reasons. First, milkshakes. Second, Jenga. Um, so we go and we sit and they love it. We love it. Here's a picture. Yeah. Um, see, they're incredible. I'm missing them right now. Um, but we go and honestly, I'll be honest with you, they're getting, they've both beaten me now. They're getting very good. Um, and so as, as we go, it's just like, initially it was learning the game. And, and then over time, you're just like, I, as, as, you know, I'm like, as I'm realizing they're getting better, I'm like, man, this is getting harder. And, and you get to the point where you're playing with someone that's pretty good. Like, and, and so there's always this point if you play Jenga. Now they have those like really big ones. But there's a point if you play Jenga where you know, all right, this thing is like, I mean, it's 
hardly hanging on. And, and if you pull, there's certain, there's certain blocks, especially at the bottom. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two, that you know the entire weight of the building is holding on that block. Everything. If someone were to pull that thing, the whole thing would fall down. And, and I think, well, Annabeth has figured out how to, how to get me to the point where I have to pull that block last. But I, I think what you see here is that Jesus, Jesus puts his hand on that block. Like you have this tower, 613 commandments, and at the very bottom, at the base of this thing, is this singular commandment, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And, and then he gives the second commandment, he says, love your neighbors yourself, love God, love others. And the whole thing is built on this piece. And Jesus puts his hand on it. This guy's like, okay, this is what the whole system is built on. And it's not just, um, I think it's incredible because it's, it's not just something that Jesus in this moment is like practical. Um, this is something in, that is deeply practiced in this culture. So that statement right there was something that was originally given in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is what Brian read this morning. It says, Hear, O Israel, this is where we see it the first time. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the, the commandments are given, the exodus has just happened, and now Moses is giving this series of speeches, and in the middle of it, he's giving this, this final command where he's saying, this is it. Like, I'm encouraging you, do not be like the previous generations, change your hearts, change your ways, and, and listen to the Lord your God who has cared for you. And he says these words, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I've commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. I love this part. It says, and shall talk of them when they sit in your house and when they walk by the way. And then when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So I know to us, so I don't know if you have a gate. I, I mean, if you do, that's pretty cool. That'd be great. Um, in Fishtown, you're doing pretty good. Um, but the, I, I think what you see here is that there's this command, and he says this command is not meant to be something that is just put amongst the other commands. In your home, this is something that should be spoken of when you rise. It should be something that's being spoken of when you're together in the home. This should be something of spoke, that's spoken of when you go to sleep. This should be something that's spoken of like in a way that it's, it's actually posted on your doorpost. This should be something that is spoken of, that it should change the way that you see. As you see the world, it's, as a frontless between your eyes, it should change that. It's something that should be spoken of that your hands, as you interact with the world, that it should be, it should be the thing that changes the way that you interact with the entire world. This should be a part of every part of every day in your home. Know this. That's what Moses has to say to them. And so that kind of, that statement, Jesus, in referring to this, he's not just referring to something in principle, but he's referring to something that has practice. Um, there's a familiarity with this command that's comparable to, like, our Pledge of Allegiance. So, like, as, as a kid, you, you know, probably learned the Pledge of Allegiance. One of my deepest fears was that I would have to just stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance on your own. 
I don't know if you guys had that fear, but I did. I was like, that's absolutely terrifying. There's no way I'd remember it. Um, but I was like, I, I th there's just like, there's this thing that you say every single day, you know, and it's, you don't realize, but it's like deeply ingrained, you know, as a kid, you're just like, this is something that's just every day you're saying this. Um, and it's, now you think about it, it's like, it's kind of odd that we have this thing that we all agree that we're just going to say every single day. Um, but for them, this is like what they, this is, this is very much a part of what they did. This is, this is something that would have been familiar to them. And so for, for them, there's, um, there's this practice that would have taken place. So in every Jewish home, at every morning and every evening, they would have said this. It would have been called the Shema. It is called the Shema. Um, and that comes from the very first word, which is here, which is translates Shema and here is the same word. Um, and the idea was not that you would just listen, but that you would obey, that there would be an actual, like your hearing and understanding this statement would change all of you. And so he says this Shema would be practiced. And so if you think about it, this means that this is something that Jesus would have said every morning as a, as a, in a Jewish home as a child. Jesus is repeating back to him something that both him and this Jewish man would have been doing since they've been children. Like that he goes all the way back to this very basic principle and he points him all the way back to the beginning points them to this statement. And so what I want to do, um, I just, I know that you're like, we're getting to our first point. I know. I don't have many points. I got two, and they're very simple. Um, but what I want to do is I just, I think if we can just pull this statement apart and look at it, um, then we'll be able to see what the Lord has for us in this passage. So the very first thing that we see that I want you to walk away with is that we were made to love God for who he is and with all we are. We were made to love God for who he is and with all we are. So the beginning of the Shema, the beginning of this prayer is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. So um, one of the things that's referenced all throughout Scripture, while the word Trinity is never used, you see the Trinity functioning together. The word Trinity means the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when I read this, I initially think about that. And I'm like, oh, there's unity there. And I don't think, I think that that's true. I don't know that that's necessarily what this is referencing. I think what this is referencing is the preeminence of God. If there is none like him. The Lord is one. The Lord is singular. Specifically in the context of the, of the book of Deuteronomy, when this was shared with Moses, there was all kinds of, it would have been, um, uh, polytheistic religions and faiths around them. So it would have been like multi different, different people with plenty of gods. So you've got like Egyptian, you would have Canaanites, you would have had the Moabites, you would have had the Ammonites, and they all had all of these gods, a god for the earth, a god for the sun, um, a god for all kinds of things. And so he says, no, you're not like, I'm not like any of those gods. Any of those gods that are made with human hands, I am different and set apart from any of that. I am unique. And so we see in, in the book of Acts, uh, this actually referenced in Acts 17.24. This is what is said. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind, 
to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. What a beautiful description by Paul. That he gives, he's affirming this, that like there is one God, a God in the beginning. Before there was anything, there was God. God creates all things. In the beginning, God. And everything flows from that. Everything comes from that. And that should change everything. That there is a singular one above all else, God. He is unlike anything else. So we worship him for who he is. But then you see, I think one of the ways that there's beautiful prayers and beautiful songs written all throughout, um, all throughout the Bible, but if you look at the book of Psalms, David's prayers, I would encourage you at times to just sit down with David's prayers um, because they're probably so reflective of ours as well. There's so much tension. There's so much like, it's, it's like he's, he's worshiping in a moment and he's crushed in the next. But in the heart of one of his prayers in Psalm 86, um, this is what he has to say. In a prayer about the love of God, he says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Um, and then he follows that up, verse 11, where he says, Teach me your way, O Lord that I may walk in your truth. Notice how, even in David's prayer, the preeminence of God, the fact that he is above all, that there is none like him, causes him, David, to respond. If, there's, if that's true, and I think that's the question that we all wrestle with. If that is true, that is what you wrestle with as you read this book as it begins with massive claims about who God is, and you have a story that's all knit together, and you get to the very end where there's this beautiful garden that we're invited into, and there's this complete restoration that we have before us. The question that you have to answer and wrestle with is, is that true? Is there a God like that? And you can't answer that outside of coming to his word and discerning for yourself and learning. You need to learn. And what that causes is you to know God, and as you learn of who he is, we respond. And so David says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Understanding who God is changes who we are and what we do. So this is the way that it plays out in our passage. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Notice all of the alls. Um, there's four alls here. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Um, I think it was my grandfather that first said to me, he said to me many phrases. Um, one of them was, all means all, and that's all all means. Um, <laughs> and it just stuck. I don't even know if you remember saying it. But it's just like, I don't even think, obviously, I think we've heard that before. But it's just the first thing that I thought of, like all, everything. Um, Webster defines all as meaning the whole amount or quantity of something. 
So when you think about a concept, the concept of all, it's kind of profound because of its simplicity. Um, it can mean uh, that there's, there's nothing left. There's not one bit left. So for Marcus, he has never eaten all of his food ever in his life. How do I know this? Because it's on his face. Because there's always some left. Um, there's, I mean, even when, you think, even when I say, like, hey, what'd you do? You're like, I just worked all week. Well, maybe you did work a lot this week, but did you work all week? Every part of your week was work. Now, I hope not, but it's something that we just get used to saying. We just throw this word out there that it would be all, that everything, all, all consuming, every last bit of it. And so our instruction is love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Um, so when I think about this, it's, I love that he separates. Like, it's just like he just kind of walks through what it means to be a human. It's what he's doing. There's like all of your heart. Your heart would be, and there's probably a variety of definitions for this, but I think one of the that's helpful, like your heart is like your asserted will and your emotions and your passion. It's the things that drive you forward. Um, your soul. Now, this is one of the most difficult ones to define. But it's certainly your spirit, and it would be like the deepest part of your being. Dallas Willard said, it is the most important thing about you. It is your life. A passage that I think about in reference to soul is Psalm 42, where again, David said, as a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There's something deep within you that is supernatural, that is happening that you're like, there's no other way to describe it than a depth of being, your soul. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind, which would be your intellect. That we would apply ourselves, that we would use our minds. That there would be a deep desire for, for knowing. That you would learn about the world that you've been given and that you would learn about the God who created it. And that that would shape and change you. That you would love the Lord your God with all of your strength. With, which means like your physical capability. We all have different bodies. We all have different physical capabilities. And the idea is that you're, you can physically input, like impact the world. And so I, I think there is something beautiful in recognizing that God created us, sure, as a soul and a mind and, and, and a heart, but also like physically. Like God created us to do things. And there's beauty in that. And we do those things for the Lord. Um, but here's, I think this is, the, this is the beauty in all of this. What he's addressing is the whole person. And you can't separate. You truly cannot separate any part of this. They are all intermingled together. Um, so like, for example, um, if you feel something deeply in your soul, it'll cause you to have a physical response. It may consume your mind, and it's going to bring emotions to your heart. Um, in a negative way, if I were to set my heart to be harmful to someone that resulted in physical abuse, that would leave a lasting effect on their mind and even their soul. There's harm that can be done with the, like, physically with the body that can last well beyond physical pain. At the same time, you can learn something with your mind that changes everything for you. It can bring clarity to your heart. It can, bring, it can comfort your soul. It can change the way you see things. And it could change what you do physically. 
So you're not one of these things. You are all of these things. And he doesn't stop there. He gives us this. I love that the, um, the scribe asked one question and he got two answers. Um, he says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Um, at the marriage retreat, we got, a, we got a chance. Actually, the, Megan and I missed the last session, but the last session was on Galatians chapter 5, which is just this commandment um, in the New Testament where Paul's referring to it, and he's, he says the same thing. The greatest commandment this is, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and Paul Tripp, did it, who was, did all the different um, conferences for us, was, I mean, it was so good. Um, but his definition of love, I'm going to use it because I think it's really helpful. He says, love... Um, is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand reciprocation or that the person is deserving of. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand reciprocation or that the person is deserving of. So um, I think um, we don't have to be told to love ourselves. I mean, I know that in, in some ways, but there's, I think that as it is natural for us to consider first what we need, it's natural for us to consider what we want, where we're going, what we're doing, what we're feeling, what we like, on and on and on. Um, and yet the command to love God and to love others directly challenges that. So love is considering the needs of another, even if it costs you. Love is sacrificing for others, even when they don't deserve it. Love is serving others when you get nothing in return. And that's hard for us. I was thinking, it's hard for us to even send a text and not get a text back, you know? <laughs> like, we have a hard time with that. You're like, I just thought of something kind, and I sent it to you. You should say thank you. Um, and I think... We just aren't wired that way. It's difficult for us to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to love. I'm going to give generously for no reason other than I, I'm made to give generously. It, you, it doesn't matter what someone gives to you. It doesn't matter what someone gives in return. It doesn't matter their response. And when we see that done, there's something in us, like even if you disagree with everything in the world, when that happens, there's something that we all agree in an instant. That's good. I don't know about all this, but that is good. Like there's something that when we give to others and when we see people love others in that way, that it is transformative for those that are participating in it and those that are watching it. They're like, it's almost like we were made for it. Like it's almost like we were like, oh, we were made to love like this. And yet it is just so painfully difficult. Why? Because all the way back to the question, at the beginning of this, the question was, of this is, what is the greatest commandment of all? And he says, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God, like to love God, like with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, um, and, and all of your soul, and that, that that love would carry on to another. But the difficult part is that he says all, all, not like some, not at times. Not in part, not when you feel like it. He says, this is what it looks like to enter the kingdom of God. 
that you would give all. You would love God fully and that you would love others fully. The hard part about that is that we so struggle to do that. You look at this and you're very quickly are drawn to this moment where you're just like, but that feels utterly impossible. Beautiful that it's laid out. Beautiful that we have this, but it's like, that is so, I don't do that every single day. I struggle to do that with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength, that, I would, that that is what it takes for me to enter the kingdom of God, that I would love others and sacrifice and give generously. Sure, does it happen sometimes? Yes, but like, I know those times. I could tell you those times. That means that it doesn't happen all the time, you know? I mean, like, it's like there's, we struggle to do that. And so you get to the end of this passage, and, and this man says, um, he comes with this response. Um, he says, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is none other besides him. And to love him with all of his heart, with all of his understanding, with all of your strength, love one's neighbor as oneself, oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Why does he say you are not far? He doesn't say that you're in. He doesn't say welcome. He says, you're not far, not far from the kingdom of God. Because for this man, what he's missing in all of his good intentions, the fact that he wants to learn, and I don't know where the end of the story is. I don't know what happened to this man. We don't get that. But what I know right now is that what he's failing to understand, and the reason that he is not far, is that because he doesn't see that Jesus is not just a teacher, Jesus is his savior. There is a difference. There is one. There's one. Like the very beginning, there's one God. And what we see here is there is one that can do this. Only one. There's one that, like, I, it's so tempting for us to look at this and say, this is a moral code. Thank you for helping. I will go do this now. Um, and I just, you're not going to last long. You won't last to the end of the day. The whole point of this is to show us that Jesus is the Savior that we need. He's the one that loves God fully. He's the one with his heart, with his soul, with his mind, and with his strength displays true love and that when he comes into this world, that he gives of himself generously. The way that we see it in John 4, 7 through 12. Um, in verse 9, it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was seen among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin, the substitute. That is what this is about. That, that there is one that God in his sovereign grace creates the world and everything in it. And out of love, he creates us. And there is a there is a, there's something that breaks when we choose 
to be our own and make our own decisions and to not follow the leading of our, our God that made us. And what happens over time is that we see that there is, we are desperately longing for that love that we left. And what you see is that Jesus comes through into the picture and that he is love. He displays this love and he shows us love perfected. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gives his son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Um, so I think this is helpful for two different people in the room. I think, well, I say everybody, but I, I'm trying to think of two people in particular. The reason this is encouraging for myself is that when I look at that, I'm like, I long for that. I want to love the Lord with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all my strength. And if that's you, I want to say this is a, you are in a good place. You're seeking well. Seek the Lord in that, but seek the Lord. Because I've found that I strive for that in my own effort and I fall short and, and, faith, and, and faith begins to weaken and doubt creeps in. And so how do, you, how do you see this? How do you enjoy that kind of true worship in your life? Learn Jesus. Run to the cross. Learn the beauty of the cross. Know who he is. Understand him as a person. Know the sacrifice that he made on the cross. Like you like what we said at one point, learn how the cross bears weight on every moment of every life. There's grace that you, you can't even comprehend. There's grace. No matter where you are, there's grace today. And then, I think for the one who finds himself in the shoes of the scribe, um, I would say what we said at the very beginning which seekers are, they're welcome here. Anyone who seeks is welcome here. Um, and there is going to be, um, there is going to be, you're going to have questions. And as you, as you approach maybe a time in your life where you've never actually said, all right, I'm going to learn about this. Then I'm, we're here to help and we're here to pray with you. But as you approach this, do not see this as a list of rules but seek to understand the person of Christ. He's gracious and patient along the way. And what it does is that love is what transforms us, and it is, it is the way that we serve others. You can't serve and you can't love others unless you know the love of God. It's just impossible. Um, but this love will change us, and it will transform us. So the final um, thing that I'll say is as, um, as the band comes up, as, um, as hope comes up, there's the reason that this man doesn't find himself in the kingdom is because from the very beginning of this book, um, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus came to do one thing. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 Starting in verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, who was proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Entry into the kingdom only comes through repenting and believing in the gospel. And so I pray that this man finds himself in the kingdom. Um, but I think for us today, I think it's important for us to know that it's not enough just to understand 
It's not, a just, not enough just to desire spiritual things. It's not enough just to, um, just to long, just to, just to know him, um, just in our knowledge, but that we would worship him with our whole selves. And if you're going to find yourself there, then it's going to take something supernatural. It's not of your own. Repent, believe, and the kingdom is there. We'll talk more about the kingdom soon. Let me pray for us. Lord, I think um, we long to display love. I think when we see it, we savor it in some ways. We just treasure it. It's like, yes, that we were made to do that. Lord, help us see that it begins with understanding the love that was first displayed towards us. Begins with understanding Christ, understanding his purpose, understanding that we are sinful in need of a Savior and that there was a price that was paid on the cross that we could not pay on our own. And that because of that, Lord, and because of the resurrection that happens, Lord, there is life, that we would have life through him. I pray if there's anyone in this room today, I pray that your love would be what is felt. Lord, that people would see and understand that you are one like none other, that you have displayed your love towards each and every one of us in a way that is absolutely magnificent, undeniable. Lord, we worship today. Thank you for your love. Thank you.